This episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Everyday Running Shoe, which I was lucky enough to head out to Barcelona and see being unveiled at its launch and to chat to athletes like Sharon Nakidi, who won the New York Marathon a few years ago, who does all of her easy and steady runs in this pair of shoes. And then we've set Jess from The Running Channel a very specific challenge to train for 12 weeks for her fastest, hopefully, ever 10K, which is also back out in Barcelona. Yeah, she is loving training in this shoe. And I think it's important as well because we're so lucky we get to test lots of different shoes. But we do know that some people just want that one pair that will do everything. So Jess has been doing her long runs, interval sessions, and she will be tackling the final 10K in the Under Armour Infinite Elite shoes. Yeah, big focus on endurance and a brand new foam, which provides extra energy return and looks after you on even your longest runs. So if you want to know more, head to the link in the show notes. You are listening to the Running Channel podcast with me, Andy Badley, my co-host Sarah Hart, who desperately needs this episode topic that we're about to cover, and and maybe even more so, Rick, who's had to run here because the trains were cancelled and was so sweaty from that, he forgot to press record, so this is the second time we're doing this. (laughs) I did, I'm so sorry. (laughs) You are basically wearing earmuffs as well, so I feel for you, mate. Yeah, and the first thing I said to Sarah when I got in this morning is, Sarah, do you have a towel? (laughs) lovely answer no so <laughs> anyone who has a t-shirt lying around watch out <laughs> it's covered in rick's sweat incredible so for a quick uh, look ahead we're going to talk about running in the heat but we should get on with it so i just said we're going to talk about running in the heat but sarah in fact you did a race in the heat this saturday and it has been incredibly hot in the uk over the weekend like close to 30 degrees it was awful that's the summary that's all we're getting absolutely awful I did a summary on my Instagram and I just summarised to sum up no just no just no it was too hot only 5k though Oh yeah, only five. There were big hills though, Sarah, weren't there? Well, so yeah, so it was at oh, what, Dorn- on Dorney Lake, just dead flat. <laughs> no, 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 lake. no, 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 no. What the water just magically sits in a lake there on a is, hill. I have realised <laughs> that there is nothing worse than on a hot day running next to a body of water when people are doing triathlon. I've never wanted to be a triathlete more. Oh, mm. Did you get enough to run? No. Oh, there you I go. don't think we were. So, well, how, did, how did you go? Let's cut to the chase. So I had a warm up to do which was two lots, no, four lots of 400. Okay. Which wow. I, which in the heat, I think was yeah, too much. Oh, great. Four <laughs> lots of 400 for a 5K. Yeah. So Punchy. I was like fully warm. And then I started off at, the plan was to start off at like five or six out of 10. Like yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily supposed to be like a PB race, yeah. but I felt pretty good. So I started off at like five or six out of 10 and was running at like 420 per kilometer pace. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is quite punchy, but yeah. you know, let's crack on. Then... At 3K, I was like, okay, let's pick it up a little bit. Yeah. And I was melting, so I couldn't. And also the worst thing yeah. was is that it was a it was an out and back course, but it was on two different paths, but they were they were literally meters apart from each other. So on the way up, and it was up, <laughs> it was like very, very gradually you felt like you were going up a little bit. And I was like, this is great. I'll then turn, go round the corner, and then it's all the way back down to the finish. Yeah. So I held off a little bit, but no, turns out it went up on the way back as well. And somehow there were headwinds both ways. So time? it was, it was time? uphill and into the wind both directions, but you ended up where you started. Yeah. So it's like some kind of optical illusion. Is, yeah, I think I was in a time warp. What, what, what was your time? <laughs> My time was 22 minutes and 14 seconds. That's rapid still. Yeah, and I think so yeah. you've, you've, held, you've held your pace pretty well there if you set off at 420 per kilometre. That is, uh, I can't quite do the maths. That's Swift. exactly 22 minute pace. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, good effort. And, and what you've described there, we're going to come on to it a little bit later in the episode when we talk about running in the heat in general, um, is what I would expect, which is that 
when you try to push and dig a little bit deeper when it's hot, it's just a cumulative effect and it mm. it just weighs on you more and more heavily as you get more and more fatigued. I think as well, like, because everyone who, if you see people who are going out to do these incredible races, like Susie Chan at the moment is uh, currently training to go out and do Badwater 135, oh, gosh, which is yeah. like one of the hottest races on the earth, in the earth, on the earth, near <laughs> yeah, on, the earth. On the earth, yeah. On the on. earth. On, on the earth and she's doing heat acclimation training which is where she's mm. every week she's going into essentially an oven running on a treadmill stuff, yeah, yeah she's doing heat chamber stuff and i think obviously she's going into much hotter conditions yeah but actually in the uk last week we were in jumpers and this week we are buying a thousand fans yeah it's been crazy we were in jumpers last week well I definitely had a jumper on last week. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, last time we recorded the podcast, me and Andy were in sweatshirts. Really? I've been in short shorts for four weeks now. <laughs> well, that's because shorts are getting shorter. Right? They are. They really are. They really are. But I, how, how I, is- I think you can smell a PB in the morning, though, with heat. Like at the crack of dawn, a runner can smell a PB. Do when- I get a lot of nostalgic, um, well, memories by definition, I suppose, of nostalgia from the different smells in the summer. Yeah. Like whether it's the fresh cut grass or that kind of like, you know, when it's going to be searingly hot. Uh, like it was at the weekend, but it's not hot yet at 7, 8 a.m. Yeah. Uh, and the same like uh, running tracks in particular have a very specific it's summer When smell. it's really hot. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like rubbery, but kind of mixed with sweat. But- yeah, and, and it's usually like some kind of cut grass, the, the, the smell of like the tarmac as well, like all yeah. of that. Really How nostalgic are you talking from- about this so lovingly? Because I ran, that I was the, the summer the was when the competitions were. <laughs> that's, when the, that's when my like, when it all came, all of the hard stuff that I had to do during the winter was for the three or four minutes in the summer, yeah. I have a question. So uh, I've been training for for 5K Mm -hmm. and then as soon as I knew it was going to be a heat wave, I was like, goodbye PB, that's out the window. Obviously I can kind of do that as as like an average runner, but if you're competing, how do, if you looked at like a 10 day forecast Mm. and you were competing in the UK and it had been like, 12 13 degrees and you could see that on your day of racing yeah. like you can't pick the time that you run and it was going to be like 28 degrees did that massively change your strategy it probably depends on what you're trying to get out of the race so for me some of the races i was using because i had to run a qualifying time in order to compete at a championships that year so you can't go to the olympics unless you run a qualifying time and then you have to come in the top two in the trials to get picked um so if you're trying to run a time then i think all of a sudden the weather plays a lot more into it yeah because you're you might start I, I tried not to think about it really. Uh, my races were short enough that generally the biggest impact was on my warm up. So I'd shorten my warm up and be out there for less time. And I'd be trying to stay in the shade as much as I can and all that sort of stuff. At a championship, we'd have access to things like ice vests um, to, to cool down, which is ironic because you are sort you have to warm up your muscles, but you also want to stay cool enough that your core body temperature doesn't overheat. So you'd warm up in an ice vest. Yeah. Wow. I don't know if that sounds great or awful. No, it's quite heavy as well. So great. that wasn't fun. I had to do that. In- <laughs> Rick's like, get me <laughs> an, an ice vest. <laughs> I want one for the office. <laughs> What's one now? Yeah. Uh, but then if you're in a race where it, where you're not caring about the time, so like some stuff will be tactical, so that's championships or, or uh, uh, the trials, for example, for the Olympics, all you're worried about is the position. Then that, I guess, if it's, Depends on the type of weather. Heat is the same for everyone else. So mm-hmm. it just means the overall race is probably going to be a bit slower. Um, and it's just who a matter of who deals with it better on the day. So PBs like are the unlikely heat. then, even at an elite level, when it's really hot? The likelihood of a PB increases as it gets warmer, and then you'll reach a point after which it's too hot, and then it'll start to decrease again. So certainly the, the sprinters want it you know, relatively hot because it makes it much easier for them to be fully warmed up and to be so explosive. But you don't want it to be so oppressively hot that you're 
you know, you just can't think clearly. You can't and, think, yeah. yeah. And, and you're feeling exhausted before you're even on the, on the start Because I, I always think for non-elites that spring and autumn are the best times for PBs, mm. you know, if yeah. you're just doing 5Ks because you go out and you've got kind of 14, 15 degrees, no wind. Yeah. You can kind of smell a PB in that. But when it's really cold, yeah. you're dodging ice. Yeah. When it's really hot... You know, you're, you're melting. Oh, yeah. melting. You need a. You're just ice running jacket. past ice cream vans, going like, "Yeah, that sounds better." <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I, wish it, yeah. I wish it was. Uh, I wish it was PBs that we're smelling in our podcast studio this morning, not Rick's uh, odor run from run from the train because it was o odor King's Cross. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Go stuff. to runningchannel.com and you can buy <laughs> bottled Rick. Before we dive into actually how to run in the heat, yes. could everyone just look at page number two of their, of their mm. little podcast sheets that I found got, this morning? Oh, Andy, hello. We've Andy got doesn't know notes. that this is here. No, I didn't. So oh, your kids on. obviously quite like playing with your running watch because yes, they do. Um, I popped onto Strava yesterday after my run and I saw that you'd run yesterday morning <laughs> at 6.27am. The distance that you ran was zero kilometers. The time of the activity was two seconds and the average pace was 42 <laughs> minutes and 44 seconds per kilometer. Yeah. Rapid, Andy. Yeah. Morning um, run. And yeah, morning run. There's, there's, there's Didn't even label it. But so many comments what I on loved this. was the fact that you have 181 people who have given you kudos for yeah. this. And then also you had so many comments. Some of my favorites included... Look at those Look. calories. Marathon training going well then. And then another person just went short and sweet. And then my absolute favourite was one person who was trying to give you a bit of sympathy saying, no shame in this. It was a hot one today. Well done, Andy. Yeah, Kieran's got my back. Thanks, Kieran. Yeah, they, oh, there's a nice one here though that made me let that. See, I'm seeing these for the first time. Is it, is it, inverted commas, run with Sarah Hartley. Rude. <laughs> Absolutely rude. Yeah, yeah. Another out. person though said, finally, we see 42km on Andy Strava. Although <laughs> that was average pace. Average pace. That was yeah, average 42, pace, 44 Brian. per kilometer. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm really building looking... that distance to the marathon, Andy. Yeah, there's a lot of sass here. There, are, there is a lot of sass. I wasn't actually looking at who wrote the comments. I just noticed <laughs> these comments are so good. Ha, 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 giggle, giggle, giggle. And then I looked in a bit more detail. Sarah Hartley. Yeah, yeah you're sliding <laughs> I was into the comments. Involved. I was getting involved. So good. My another sorry, another favourite one. Jed just put tapering question mark. <laughs> Brilliant. I should start training harder before I can start tapering. But yes, evidently when I was half asleep at six thirty in the morning, um, <laughs> one of my children had my watch and must have been starting and stopping it. But then I couldn't find my watch, so then I couldn't record my actual run, which wasn't very far or very fast. But it was a little bit further than zero point zero zero kilometres. Yeah, it is zero point zero one. It is hard though, isn't it? In mm. the heat, in it. I mean. I've just gone wild this week and and bought some more fans, but I've got a, a tip Top for you tip. actually. I've got a tip for you on fans. Have you? Do you know about this? shopping tips? No, what's your fan tip? So I always have a Google note in my calendar to buy fans on the first of January every year. You know, because if you go and buy them now, they'd be really expensive, wouldn't Sorry, they? Sorry, how many fans do you own? Yeah, you don't need to buy every, them every year. Got a fan in every room. Yeah, but I have a child generally every year at the moment, but, so okay. we have to buy a oh, new fan. In that case, so, Andy's bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> Bring on. It's a good time to remortgage for fan purchases yeah, right now. Do you need a fan per child? Yeah. You, could do a oh. you could do like a little course around them. I your honestly oh, thought that tip was going to be like, get a big block of ice, put it just in front of no. your fan and then it'll blow out cold air. Buy no? your fans in January. Well, that's not very useful, yeah, it's Rick. Not really it's practical June. Now. Yeah. Right, everyone, everyone listening to this, go put into it your, in calendars. your calendar. Put it in your calendar. <laughs> calendar. This time next year, you won't be laughing. Yeah, it's, hey. it's true. It's, the, the reverse happens to me. It has happened to me a couple of winters where it's, it gets really cold and then our heating will pack up for whatever reason. And while I'm waiting for the boiler to get fixed, I don't have any other way of heating the house. And I look at buying like a 
some kind of heater and the same thing happens because it's everyone else is doing exactly doing the same thing. Oh, so right so, now, get your heater. Yes, yeah, so maybe now. Yeah. Top, no, buy no, a yeah. heater. <laughs> buy a heater. <laughs> Don't buy a fan. Hang on, this podcast is becoming really useful for other stuff as well I'm as so glad But it is all related that. to this week's episode. Yes. Yeah. Right, let's go. Heat. Let's talk about how to run in the heat. Yeah, where are we going to start? I think there's an obvious one, which is hydration. But before we come on to that, heart rate. Yeah. Um, it's just to be aware that most of us are running with some kind of watch on, whether that's um, a smartwatch or not. Uh, might have a heart rate strap on or might just have the optical heart rate on your wrist. Um, if you do pay attention to your heart rate regularly, you'll notice it will be higher in the heat. So the same effort or the, the same paces will feel loads tougher in the heat. And, and they'll accumulate, so you might find that your heart rate just keeps rising throughout an activity because um, it just keeps getting harder and harder and you're building up that effort that, yeah, we all know what it feels like. It's just not present. Yeah, I think actually I tend to look at heart rate more when I'm running in the summer and, and look at pace even less. I yeah. think the important thing is is that if you're heading out on an easy run, you might find that staying in your kind of easy zone for running yeah. might feel impossible, but just try and acknowledge that your heart rate is going to be a little bit higher but it's way more important to stick to a kind of sensible heart rate train zone for what you're training in than try and stick to that pace and your, yeah. all of your easy runs turn out to be really hard yeah listen to your body is always been a coaching mantra that i've worked to with andy my coach that that listen to your body when you're particularly when you're tired or when conditions start to be extreme or whether you're making sure you're recovered properly and all of those sort of things recovery will take longer in the heat um the runs themselves will be harder. Go easy on yourself. Don't worry about so much about the pace. Listen to your body and just kind of give it the time and recovery that it needs. And, and just be as sensible as you can. Like if you have got, you're training for an event which requires you to follow a specific training plan, but you know it's going to be really, really hot on one day, then don't be afraid to, to kind of reschedule your week around it. Mm. And, and I know it's difficult with life getting in the way, but it's it's really just not a good idea to run at the mid, in the middle of the day. Mm. Um, it's particularly if you've got a really long run at the weekends people save their long runs for the weekends and then they might have a lie-in and then all of a sudden it's you know 10 a.m and you're, you're going to go out and do a long run through the heat of the day it's, it's like if you can avoid that and get out early then it makes a massive difference or i uh, retreated to the treadmill this weekend a little bit of um air conditioning in the gym fair yeah. play yeah, yeah. it was it's really wrong nice that. No, it was really nice and then you can also have i had like an ice cold bottle of water next mm. to the treadmill mm. well. bringing us on to water and hydration so cold water will definitely help keep you cool keep your core body temperature down but also if you are drinking sort of throughout the day in preparation either for the next day's run or whatever mm. cold water will also pass through you more quickly so in terms of like a diuretic effect essentially it's like if you if you're constantly downing ice cold water then you'll need to go to the toilet a lot more and then you'll be have to be more conscious of your hydration levels. So looking at the color of your pee when you go to the toilet, I know it's not very glamorous, but if you are trying <laughs> to stay hydrated, then you're looking for like um, pale straw color, not yeah. clear because you potentially like you're weighing out all of your nutrients that you might need. That's fascinating. So cold water passes through your body more quickly than warm water. That's my understanding. I've said that like I have the scientific authority on that. <laughs> I'm, 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 bank, sure I'm banking true. that. Another hydration tip, though, that I've started using this summer is there are lots of uh, like sports nutrition products out there to help with hydration. So whether that's hydration like powders, yeah. electrolyte tablets, they can be really, really beneficial, especially if you're someone who doesn't drink that much water like i know you. loads yeah like me you basically. don't hydrate properly do you basically? i don't at all it's something that i'm terrible at i drink i barely drink with meals 
<laughs> because I can never be bothered to bring, if I'm bringing, I don't have, I have like a kitchen that doesn't have a table in. So I always have to carry my plate through <laughs> such so, a first world so problem. Yeah. So therefore you don't bother with a drink. No, so because I'm carrying my plate, I'm probably carrying my phone. If it's a do we need to get you a tray, like like (laughs) like one of those beanbag trays. I need a beanbag tray. No, do you want to know something really sad? So I have a tray that I was using to put my plate on, (laughs) but someone bought me for Christmas. It's like this little greenhouse model kit. Yeah, is that (laughs) now on the tray? That's now on the tray, so I can't put my food on my tray anymore. I have success. Take it it off. Maybe you should wear a hydration vest at all times. It's so technical, Rick. It's got like a little door and you have to glue all the bits together. So we do need to buy her another tray. (laughs) Or or (laughs) you need to wear a hydration vest around the house so that you've just got a straw permanently poking over your shoulder. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know those, um, you can get like a builder's hat where you can fit two, I think it's for beer, but you can fit two like bottles of water either side of the straw coming into your mouth. Yeah, like the Duff beer hat on on, um, Simpsons back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's what I need. But from a hydration perspective, like you don't, don't absolutely hammer it. Do check the colour of your pee. I know it sounds horrible, but it's a good gauge. You know, if it's too dark, you need to drink more. If it's completely clear, then you've probably had a little bit too much. Um, and then if you're going out for a longer run in the heat, then take a take a bottle with you, maybe a hydration vest if it's going to be a really long run. Or if you're going to do loops, then stash some water in a bush somewhere. Uh, or have someone come out on the bike with you. They can hand you water. Um, or, or or an electrolyte solution, which is you know arguably slightly mm. better on a run. So... Um, especially if you're going out no matter what time of the day your water's obviously going to get warmed up by your body heat so i personally find that if i have some electrolytes in my bottle it tastes way better than like warm water yeah yeah that's true if you've got most sports bottles of plastic aren't they and yeah, and, and you, get you get that, that like yeah. warm plasticky taste whereas if you put a little bit of electrolytes in there yeah. much better then you've got a nice flavor to it as well yeah, yeah. And, and we talked about recovery and so on but what happens is you're, you're core body temperature just keeps rising as you're out in the heat Mm -hmm. Um, and it will keep rising or it will stay elevated after you finish. So trying to be aware of how that will impact your recovery. So whether you're going to have a cool shower um, or sit in a cool bath or make sure you sit sit in the shade when you finish for a little bit to cool down. Because I think most of us will have had the experience where you are really hot, you have a shower regardless whether it's hot or cold too soon after you finish Mm. and then you're still sweating when you come back out. Yeah, um, oh, I've done that so many yeah. times. Yeah, I personally like to now get in from a run if it's really hot, wash my face because that kind of gives the illusion that I'm so much colder. And then I will just sit and sip some water and then have a shower because there is yeah. nothing worse than having a really nice shower. And also I've done this quite a lot recently where I've been like, right, I'm going to have a nice cold shower now. You put the shower onto cold, try and get in it. And I'm like, oh no, that's too cold. Too and then you end up having a warm shower and then you're just sweating. <laughs> yes, back nice out. Why don't you try the gradual effect of turning it down? Yeah. So you go in with, rel- it's, you know, relatively warm and then I just make it colder and colder. Oh, I, I don't, out. I don't have the willpower. Oh, yeah, for that. That's what I would do though. I'm with Rick on that. I think that is a good, a good way. Cause you don't need to, I, I mean, I would have had to turn my recovery around pretty quickly at championships, for example. So the hottest I ever raced was in Osaka in Japan. Um, and it was about 37 degrees, I think, when I raced. Um, because they, it's pretty unusual, but my heat for the 1500 was at like midday, half past 12. That um, must have been So it was right at the end of the morning session. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was really, really hot to the point where I just about, I did a very, very gentle cool down after my race. But then I'd qualified for the semifinals, so I needed to recover in less than 36 hours to run again. So, um, which probably doesn't sound like much to you to have to recover from running 1500 meters. <laughs> it's only three or four minutes. Just a little trot. <laughs> um, but then, so I, so then I did get in a full body ice bath. 
that was a like, recovery. I guess that's probably yeah. quite nice. To bring, it did, I mean, one, I, there's, there's lots of, the jury's out on the actual science, but like, I think we've said it before that if stuff makes you feel better, then mm. that's, probably the, does. that's the most important yeah. thing. Um, and it also brought my core temperature down. So yeah, where last thing on, on this section, I think we should talk about what you wear, both from a clothing perspective, like wearing a hat, it's going to make a massive difference. Yeah. Um, and, and also sun, sun cream, like I know it's, uh, yes, like don't, it's, yeah. it's, don't want to be patronizing, but, uh, but do you put sun cream on and, and people don't because they don't like the fact that it will run essentially, particularly if you've got it on your face and it'll run into your eyes. Mm. Mm. Uh, but there are sun creams. I've used one called P20 quite a lot. Um, Posh. Is it posh? It's posh, that one, mate. Okay, mate. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You want to know a hat? But that's an all-day all one that doesn't... doesn't you just like... told everyone you live in the country. Brilliant. But, but when, you, when, when you use it, it kind of... It, it, when you sweat, yeah. it doesn't... It's supposed to last all day, and I've, I've had pretty good experiences with that when I've been on training camps and stuff. I've never so, bought it, but I've nicked it off other people quite a few times. <laughs> oh, Andy. Yeah. Andy's yeah. Like, other brands, yeah. other brands are available, yeah. but getting sports-specific ones that shouldn't come off as easily when you're sweating can yeah. make a difference. Someone also told me a great hack that apparently if you put Vaseline in your eyebrows, it doesn't sweat down into your eyes. Yes, yeah, so it kind of catches mm. the... the you do the have to go for quite forehead, a like yeah. grease gelled up eyebrow look, but hey, that's but it's better. painful. Right? It's kind of a lot of yeah, no, it's sun cream nice. is, yeah. it will sting when it goes in your eyes. Yeah, so. but it's so important. There is honestly nothing worse than getting like a really weird burn mark from just not having sun cream on. And like, also yeah. think about compared to if you were sunbathing, you're either lying with your face down or your face up. But when yeah. you're running, the sun is coming directly down onto you. So like tops of your ears, oh, tops yeah. of your nose. I've also, the worst sunburn I've ever got in my life is when I have my hair in two plaits and I burnt the top the of my scalp. The line down the middle. You had like a sense of passing. <gasps> really? Oh, because you just yeah, didn't you put relate. any yeah. cream on it? Mm. Top tip as well, that if you if you are wearing a cap, then dip it in cold water. Like Ooh, soak, yeah. soak the cap in cold water. And and then if you are on a run and you happen to run past like a drinking fountain fountain or something, obviously you can stop to have a drink, mm. but also soak your cap again and that can that can make a massive difference. Well, yeah, like at um, really hot races in America or in ultramarathons, I've seen they've made like little, they'll get a scarf, fill it up with ice and then wear it as like a little... Yeah, or people soak buffs as well, things like that. You yeah. wouldn't think of wearing a buff in the summer, but if it can keep you cool, then that could help. Yeah. I think finally, just before we move on, what are the warning signs for if you've like overdone it when on a run in the heat should you just like stop and take some time out so hydration measure is a is a key thing having a look at that before you go out on a run like how, do you feel like you've drank enough have you done the pee test uh, i think that's the third time i've mentioned pee on this so i'm gonna stop now <laughs> um but then if you if you feel lightheaded in any way if you're starting to feel sick all of these things are like pretty bad indicators of sunstroke to my i'm not a medical professional but from my own experience of how you might feel um and i keep an eye on that heart rate as well if it's just creeping up and you're on what should be a easy to steady run and you're at eight or nine out of ten effort yeah then yeah i'd call it a day and, and make sure you go home and try and recover try and cool down as quick as you can get out of the sun for the rest of the day um make sure you hydrate and get some fuel in um try and cool down definitely as well if you are new to running or if you haven't really run like consistently in the summer before then don't worry everyone finds it tough like no matter how long you've been running yeah. for running in the heat is always going to be hard i went out on a long run with someone over the weekend and it's yeah. their first time that they've ever been running in the summer and they were just like should it be this hard i really yeah. can't do it and it, it is hard so enjoy running in the heat yeah, don't so worry, we all struggle with it. Be sensible. Keep it shorter. Maybe don't go out at all if you've missed your window to go out when it's cooler early in the day. Um, better to play it safe than sorry. Yeah, you are listening to the Running Channel podcast. Up next, we've got your questions to answer. Plus, we've each picked a new story from the world of running to discuss.
Don't forget, this episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Shoes. Now, at the Running Channel, we bang on all the time about how if you want to run fast, you need to run slow. I'm talking about the 80-20 rule. Yes, you need to do the vast majority of your training at an easier or steadier pace. And you need an everyday pair of running shoes that you trust to do that. And the Infinite Elite has brand new cushioning technology in the form of Under Armour's Hover Plus. So that's designed to support you for the whole of even your longest runs with extra cushioning and energy return. So that's what this is all about. Yeah, and if you want to check out the Under Armour Infinite Elite, head to the link in the show notes. So it is almost question time, which is my favourite bit, but we've got news stories for you this week. We're going to be really quick. Sarah. We talked about it last week, but mm-hmm. I just want to give a little comrades update because yep. it's now happened. Firstly, well done to James. Absolute hero. Yep, he legend. smashed it. It was quite tantalising watching it because they have such a strict cutoff, but he made mm. it, I think, with like nine or ten minutes to spare. So oh, wow. That's huge, very rewarding. Huge well done you looked emotional at the end. Oh, it was incredible. And then huge well done as well. Carla Molinaro, who's featured on the Running Channel before. She has done comrades a, a number of times, and this time she came away with third place, which oh, is wow. absolutely incredible. So Carla. well done, everyone who took part. And if an ultramarathon is on your bucket list, definitely go check that one out. Yeah, it's it's an iconic one that people talk about a lot. Oldest ever ultramarathon. So mm. amazing. Right, well, my story is also a repeat sort of of last year, last <laughs> week's. Um, you covered Comrades, which was coming up. And then I mentioned that there was been a world record in the 1500 for the women. But yeah. the same uh, incredible lady, Faith Kip Yegon, um, broke the 5K world record this week. She ran 14.05 ahead of uh, Guy Day, who held the record previously. But in the same meet in Paris, there were two other world records. Whoa. So it's which is really unusual. Bear in mind how long track and field's been going. Yeah. You don't yeah. get world records very often. To have three in one evening is amazing. So they had the women's 5K, uh, the men's two mile. This one's really unusual. It's not a very often run distance. But Jakob Inkebritsen, um from Norway, who's this phenomenal talent, um, he ran a time which it blows my mind. So for context, the previous world record was held by Daniel Komen and he held two world records, the 3,000 metres and the two-mile world record. Yeah. And that was since 96, 97. And they were what a lot of people, certainly in middle distance, considered to be by far the best, hardest, may never get broken world records. And his two-mile world record was 7.58, so two back-to-back for sub-four-minute miles. Take Jakob Inkebritsen ran 7.54. Wow. It must not have been what? hot. Do you know what the splits were? Yeah. He, I, I read an incredible... <laughs> I, I sort of... It's stupid when you see it written down, but the, the journalist had written something like, you know, he went out easy in four minutes flat for the first mile. Oh, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> easy. That's and like bear in mind that more people have climbed Everest than have run a sub four minute mile. Um, that is crazy. So, so he went out in a, a four minute mile. <laughs> is that just a flex to yourself? Well, he climbed Everest actually, so um, good yeah. start, he wouldn't so be in went, my club. But he ran 3.54 for his second half, for his second mile of a two mile race. Well, he went out easy, Andy. Well, apparently, but that that's like, you know, not far off a world-class mile time on its own. And he, he did it having already run a pretty a mile. incredible mile. So yeah. That's that, incredible. Yeah, mind-blowing. And then the men's 3,000-meter steeplechase record was also broken uh, by Germa, who ran 7.52 for 3,000-meter steeplechase. So I appreciate these times are, might not mean that much to you, but the previous world record, I was actually it's one of the few world records I've been in the stadium for. So back in 2004, it was by Saif, Saeed Shaheen. Ran in Brussels in 2004, he ran 7.53. So that was broken by one second, but that's a long-standing world record as well. Mm. So yeah. What's going on? I tell you what, if that's, those were all in Paris, right? Yeah. Yes. That makes me so excited for the Olympics next year. Yeah. Like world records are already being broken in Paris. What are we going to see next summer? Yeah, exactly. And I don't know whether that's a, 
it'll be some kind of perfect storm. The weather it was nice and warm, but potentially not too hot in the evening mm. when they're running. Mm. Um, it's new track compounds. It's new super shoes, new super spikes. Um, super spikes? Well, they have the same foam technology as the super shoes. Um, just a little bit. There's, there's different regulations on the track. So new, they, new term alert. <laughs> super spikes. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> they're making a massive difference, but those times are, are still phenomenal. Yeah. Okay, well, you're listening to the Running Channel podcast. Next up, we've got your questions. Question time. First though, Andy, what was your mile time? (laughs) (laughs) We just talked about this off mic and Andy was like, why didn't you ask me when we recorded? Oh, Oh, now you make me sound so needy. Please let me show off. Go on, go on, go on, mate. It was 3.49. What was that, sorry, three? Yeah, 3.49. Faster than that Norwegian fella then. Well, faster than the second mile he ran in a two mile effort. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's go to Steph, shall we? Uh, Steph has emailed in and she writes, just wondering how long the effects of a warm-up last. I run with a social running club a couple of times a week and do most of my warm-up at my house and a short jog to our meet-up point. But then we wait around for everyone to arrive, have a bit of a chat, coffee. I'm sometimes standing around for 10 minutes or so. Is my warm-up at home actually doing me any good? Good point. Oh, that is a good point. Yeah. So she's worried, I suppose, about the gap between finishing the warm up yeah. and then exercising. Um, yes, it is. In short, I think it's probably quite dependent on the weather. Um, so if it's freezing cold and in that 10 minute period you get really cold, then a lot of the good work will be undone in terms of warming your muscles up ready for harder exercise. Because um, she does say, um, we've got the slightly longer message in front that she, that she does um, foam roll and dynamic exercises as part of that. That warm up, so it lasts basically. Yeah, yeah but so I mean, to a to, point. To give context from a track and field perspective, my warm up, I had at least a thirty minute call time before I raced. So at, with at least thirty minutes to go before I was going to race, I had to be in like the final call room, and at that point, there's broadly no more warming up you can do. Wow, that seems really long to me, Sarah. Yeah. Mm. So so I'd start my warm up over an hour before my race, and I spend thirty minutes doing my drills and jogs and strides so i do my hard strides or a few hard strides like more than 30 minutes before Mm. my race then you go in and they check your kit and and you're kind of milling around the important bit was i was all you know generally that's you're racing in the summer so it's warm and i would have had quite a bit of kit on still so i'd have done my warm-up then probably put some warmer kit back on to stay warm as i go through that process but i guess i'm only telling that story to give confidence that yes the benefits that warm up do last obviously i kept moving and then i'd get back out on the track and do Mm. some more strides again and stuff what do you think is the ultimate then because do you think it because i always think this before like a a, like a 5k race Mm -hmm. for example is it actually beneficial to have a little bit of time to allow like in the same way that in an interval session you'd have like 60 seconds recovery before you go again like is it actually optimal to have a little bit of time before you then dive into a race definitely i i I, and i think because most of us would try and cram as much time in as, as much value into the time that we have available to go and do a run, for example. Mm, so yeah. if we're doing a warm up, we might literally do the warm up and then keep going straight into the 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 workout. But I would never have done that. So like because I had the luxury of being a full time athlete, I would have always taken the time, generally because I was changing my shoes quite often. So whatever workout I was doing, I'd have done my warm up in, in my long run, easy run shoes. And then I'd have stopped. Then I'd have done all the loads of dynamic exercises and loads of strides and things like that. And then I'd have started. So there's probably for me like at least a 20 minute gap between finishing my warm up jog and then actually starting my hard efforts. But I suppose I was still warming up during that yeah. that period. So from Steph's perspective, I would say don't worry about it too much. Just make sure you actually keep 
your temperature, body temperature warm. Like you keep keep moving a little bit and you've got enough kit on to stay warm for that 10 minutes. That's really reassuring, I think. Mm. Um, Nathan from Oregon. Thank you for telling us where you're from, Nathan. I very <laughs> much appreciate it. Uh, do you make it a point to have your training route mirror the race route as much as possible? Or is it just a mixture of flat and hills regardless of the race course layout? I love this question because I think it's so interesting because I think if you're racing on a track, you will always train on a track. Mm. If you are doing a trail race that involves lots of hills, you always talk about, hear about people going out and training on hills, but I've never thought about it in the sense of, could you create a training course route that mirrors mm. like, oh, it's got a bit of a hill here. Did you ever do that, Andy? Well, I was running on the track most of the time, oh, yeah. um, but, my, but my training was really varied. Like I did hills, I did rolling hills around Richmond Park, for example, um, which is not hilly in the mountainous sense, but it's definitely a rolling, undulating seven miles around the outside. Mm. Um, and then my long runs were also kind of, depending on the week, would be flat and undulating and so on. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say if you can, it's a cool idea, but not necessary, I don't think. No. Uh, like if, if you are going to take on a hilly race of some kind, then and you only ever run on the flat, then you're definitely going to know about it. So being able to maybe once or twice go and integrate some hills is going to make a massive difference. I think it also depends on what type of race that you're doing. Like if you're doing a 5K and, you know, it's got a few hills in there, yeah. but in the grand scheme of things, the elevation is quite low, they're not as necessary, yeah. even up to like half marathon marathon if it's kind of relatively flat road yeah. race where I have seen people either mimic the race course yeah. or actually go and do a recce is when you get into ultra marathons or any kind of trail race I've yeah. seen quite a lot of people either go out and recce the course especially if it's over 100 miles you're going to be running through the night people will go out and recce yeah makes me feel <laughs> and yeah, you can't yeah. even imagine no. doing something like this yeah but yeah loads of people go out and recce the course or actually if you're if you're signed up to a small race that's local to you so I've done quite a lot of races in like London parks that are yeah. close to me you can go out and do a little practice on the course and then actually that visualization might help you if you're going for quite like an aggressive goal yeah or look to simulate how you're going to feel potentially mm. so I can't speak to ultramarathon training particularly um but if you are going to do something where you're going to be running on tired legs up hills then do exactly that like do a, you know, a short end like this type of stuff that I can speak to is a combination of threshold running and hills where you mm. go alternate between the two you might do 10-15 minutes of threshold running and then some short mm. sharp hills or longer rolling hills um and then repeat it uh so that then each time you're both tired after the hills you then have to go back into threshold running and then you're you feel like aerobically like you've been working pretty hard after the threshold and then you have to go and sprint up a hill like those are good ways of working getting your body used to what it feels like to tackle that terrain when you're tired yeah but you're never going to be able to mirror it exactly. But well, unless you live near uh, enough to the course that course, you're actually going to run on and then you can practice. Yeah, it. yeah. But it's, it'd be tricky otherwise. But hey, if you're someone that loves the stats, that is a fun challenge. It is, isn't it? Imagine like if you're doing in a broad race, trying to mimic the route. And that's one benefit that cyclists have, I think. So, for example, if you have a turbo trainer, a smart turbo trainer and something like Zwift, then you can exactly mimic the ride that you're going to do, both in terms of the gradients mm. that you're going to ride um, and the distance and, and so on and it will feel like you're riding out there but in, in running that yeah. doesn't quite exist yeah yet. don't talk to me about cycling I'm still sore <laughs> <laughs> what is this cycling thing yeah well we've got through another one yeah just Rick's still sweating from yeah. his run from the train but gripping you wouldn't <laughs> want to wear this shirt 
lovely lovely way to finish but you have been listening to the running channel podcast thanks so much for listening if you are enjoying it please do email in any questions to podcast at the and leave a review whilst you're here we love reading through them and we'll see you next time oh and just before you go don't forget instagram rick kelsey don't worry about andy's <laughs> brilliant okay bye <laughs> This episode was brought to you by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Everyday Running Shoe, which has a focus on both comfort and endurance. So an ultra springy, responsive feel that protects your legs and keeps them feeling fresh, which is what Jess has been putting to the test as she's been training for over the last 12 weeks for taking on her ultimate ever 10K. And she's been focused on consistency. So being able to show up with those fresh legs every day and every week in order to put in the work and the recovery that she needs to do to run her best. If you want to check out the Under Armour Infinite Elite, head to the link in the show notes.